name's Richard Maddox, and I was born in uh, Georgia. I've uh, lived in Georgia all my life. Uh, I've left a few times, but I always came back because this is a real place. It's a home. It's for me. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, it's it's uh, not really a very pretty story, but it's real, and it is my story. Um, you know, I was born into an alcoholic family. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and he, uh, you know, he he introduced us to what it was like to live an alcoholic uh, through rage and anger and control. Uh, the, the family obviously was dis dysfunctional, and um, you know, nobody ever knew what each other was doing because it was always bobbing and weaving and trying to avoid each other. And, you know, there was no, no boundaries, no limits, no accountability, no responsibility. Uh, had five, four brothers and two sisters, and we were all going in different directions. Uh, so, and we were mostly trying to avoid my dad uh, because, you know, he was an angry drunk. And when he drank and got drunk, you need to find somewhere to go, and you need to go somewhere and stay uh, to avoid encountering him. Um, but you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, dysfunctional stuff going on in the family uh, with some drinking and stuff with some of their friends and uh, in a real, you know, I was like fifth grade when, when uh, what took place in my life was a friend of, a friend of their, uh, their uh, a friend of my mother and father's friend, which wasn't my friend, uh, he winds up molesting me as a young kid. And so I threw that in the mix with a, being in an alcoholic environment, you know, and, and being afraid and, and, you know, confused. And, you know, after this happened to me, I was, shame was just, just incredible. You know, I was just, uh, I just didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't belong. Uh, I was afraid of everybody. I felt defective. Uh, you know, it just wrecked my whole uh, sense of being, even at that young age. Um, you know, I started using alcohol at a real, a real young age, and I kind of, I didn't like it, but what I remembered about it once I picked it back up was that it killed a lot of pain, and I was in a lot of pain. Um, so, you know, that was kind of my go-to was, you know, if it gets too bad, you know, you go do this, you go do that, you know, definitely stay away from your family. Uh, my brothers and sisters, we were not close. We're still not close. Uh, we all live in Georgia, but we rarely see each other. Uh, you know, I'd call that a broken family. You know, nobody's uh, looking out for anybody else. And uh, that's just the way it was. You know, I got a couple marriages. I went through uh, my first marriage. I had uh, my daughter and two sons. Uh, fortunately, they're... You know, they've gotten into a recovery program, just like the recovery program I've gotten into to, you know, to learn how to live without alcohol and drugs and to rely on God and, and, and build a relationship with God uh, because that's the only thing that got me sober, the only thing that got the drugs and alcohol out of my system uh, long enough for me to realize that there was another way to live, and that was news to me. Uh, so, you know... It, it uh, I was one Sunday morning, I was with my sister. We was at a church down in Chambly, and the preacher preached a message, and then he gave an altar call. 
my brother-in-law, he gets up and goes down to the altar, and I felt compelled to go too. And, you know, I went down, I asked God to save me from some of this wreckage, you know, that I needed help, even at a young age. And, you know, it, something was different. You know, I don't know exactly what was different, but something felt different. Uh, I, I wasn't in as much pain as I was before. Um, but I really didn't follow it up with any, any kind of pursuit of Christ. Um, later on, you know, I did get back to the faith, and, um, you know, it seemed like I was going through this constant state of asking God to forgive me and to save me and forgive me and to save me. And, you know, I understand that's not necessary, but that's what I did. And, you know, learning to walk with Christ in a, in a, in a 12-step program is what really grew me up and helped me to, you know, get some sense of confidence and well-being and uh, was able to care about people, started loving people, and people started loving on me. You know, the, the transition just continued to unfold. Um, you know, my wife and I met in 98, my current wife, and uh, we dated for four years, and... Uh, wound up getting married in 2002 in Colorado Springs. Um, you know, we, we were in love. Um, love's a beautiful thing. Um, there is no counterfeit for love. Um, you know, we, we hit it off. I mean, you know, I, I, she loved me more than I could ever love myself, and I kind of, you know, I was clinging to her, and she was constantly pouring into me. You know, you're a good guy, you know, you, you, yada 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 and you know <laughs> you know you just keep doing the things that you're doing because I met her at a 12-step retreat so she was familiar with a 12-step recovery also and you know we jumped in with both feet uh, wound up buying a little house out here in Loganville my um, kids wound up moving out here with me and stayed a short time you know we had a lot of fun I was a single parent um, you know but eventually they moved on and you know I was back to you know, we were back to being in the house alone, which was a good thing. You know, it, it was a good thing. Uh, not that there was anything really wrong with them being there, but there was a lot of struggles. You know, they were teenagers, and they had it all figured out, and we were still trying to figure it out. So we kind of, you know, we kind of did some headbutting stuff. And, uh, I mean, I'd like to say that we had a great relationship, but I was used to broken families, and I didn't know how to do a real family. So, you know, we parted ways, and... Uh, the good news about all that is, is since that time, my daughter and my oldest son have also found a 12-step program and are dealing with uh, their alcohol and drug problems, and they have been dealing with them. My daughter's got six years clean, and my oldest son's got four years clean, and we have a relationship. We have relationships. You know, we, we love each other. We care for each other. We support and encourage each other. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing, you know, to have a family that, that entails that. And uh, it took a long time to get there, um, and we still are growing and learning and uh, loving on each other. But, um, you know, we, we, uh, my wife and I, after they left, we started looking for a church. Went to several churches, didn't like them. Found Oasis, stayed here. Uh, came here until... Uh, Tim Cash came here and uh, really related to his story. He was in construction. I was in construction, sheetrock work, you know, carpentry work, those kind of things. When he started sharing his heart in the very beginning, 
you know, I felt a connection here that I really hadn't felt in these other churches, and I wanted more of it. You know, I wanted more of it. I, I felt like I was in the right place. My wife felt that we were in the right place. Um, we've been here since Tim's gotten here, and, you know, we've gotten involved with small groups. You know, we, uh, <clears throat> we, uh, you know, we're accountable. We, we uh, tithe and we participate in uh, charity stuff here that we do, like we just did the Thanksgiving thing. Uh, that was a beautiful thing there. A lot of people really benefited from that. Uh, it was a joy to participate in that. And just we just engaged. You know, I feel more engaged. I feel almost as engaged here as I do with the outside recovery program. Uh, but I got a lot more time there. You know, I, I know a lot more about that than I do about the Bible and, and how we live it out. But I'm learning. You know, I'm, I'm a slow learner, as they say. So, you know, I'm glad to be here. I, I know Tim's patient, and he continues to hammer it out, and I continue to pick it up, you know, as I can. But, you know, the bottom line is, if you're here, your story matters. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you were with, or any of that is irrelevant. Your story matters here at the cross today, and uh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and, you know, that pretty much sums up that, you know, I know today that I did a little calculation just to, to kind of follow in Tim's footsteps with, I've been sober for 10,757 days today. That's all because of the grace of God. People like Butch. I love Butch. Butch is a good man, and I'm glad to be a part of his, his uh, story. So I'm going to turn it over to Butch. Hello, Cross family. My name is Butch Merck. Uh, my wife and I have been partners here for right after Tim came, sometime shortly after Tim came. Uh, my testimony is, uh, is much more suited for the places it's been told before, which is prison ministry, drug and alcohol detox. Uh, this is the first time it's ever actually been told in front of the body. The second, that's right, it's the second. <laughs> uh, I'm an Atlanta native. I grew up uh, to a single mother and a brother and a sister, and we, uh, we lived in Techwood Homes, which you got to be pretty old and probably from Atlanta to know where Techwood Homes were. I lived a block from the south end zone of Grant Field. Uh, got it, Dallas. And... Uh, uh, grew up fatherless. Uh, we, my mom purchased a home when I went into the ninth grade, and uh, it pretty much all fell apart after that. Uh, rebellion, refusing to go to school, uh, no respect for my mother, uh, truancy, petty crimes. Uh, my sister got into it, and at that point, my father tried to intervene and tried to get custody of us, and they fought in court for it, and the judge, in his wisdom, decided neither one of them should be parents. <laughs> so we went to live with our uncle for about a year, and my sister and I went out on our own at 17 and 16. And this was the late 60s. The late 60s were, as many of you know, uh, not kind to some of us and less kind even to me. Uh, I got lost in that culture. A drug arrest at 18, a failed marriage at 25. Uh, abandoned my wife and daughter in favor of my heroin addiction, 
at the age of 25. Uh, I was unable to reconcile my drug use with all the failures in my life. Uh, and after the marriage, my heart, uh, some really descriptive phrases in scripture about it, but I had hardened my heart very much so. Uh, and it was the way that I was able to deal with that addiction for the coming 10 or 11 years. Uh, nothing really mattered except the ways and means to get more. That, that's really all that mattered. Uh, other people, whatever, didn't matter. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want to show you what uh, drug addiction and occasional attempts at trying to work during 20 years of drug addiction looks like. That's my Social Security earnings record for, for the first 20 years of my life. As you can see, it uh, started really bad and ended even worse. Uh, but that's, that's not uncommon for people who uh, get lost the way that I got lost. But I praise God for his provision and his protection over my life at this time. There's no way that I'm supposed to live until this age. Uh, 1986, I was arrested in DeKalb County in March of 1986 for drug trafficking. It's a level seven offense that carried 25 years minimum mandatory in the Georgia State Prison System. I didn't have a bond for four months. When I finally got a bond, I got out. I'd been in plenty of trouble before, but I had never been in trouble like this. And uh, I got out, I owed the bondsman money, I owed the lawyer money, so I went to Houston, Texas, thinking I was going to make some fast money to pay them. And I got arrested two more times in Houston, Texas. And uh, this is 1986, and, and it looks like the worst year of my life. It just looks like, you know, you've taken your life, you've trashed it, and now it's crash and burn time. But isn't it funny that that's when God shows up? You know, he shows up, and he can only show up when we're completely and totally broken. Now, what happened for me was, you know, I had no idea who God was or what he was doing. I, I didn't grow up in church. Every prayer I'd ever had was, God, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll, you know, fill in the blank. I'll do whatever. I'll clean my life up. I'll quit using drugs. I'll change. I'll whatever. That was the only prayers I knew, you know, jailhouse prayer. Uh, occasional Santa Claus prayer, you know, that's about it. Uh Fear of incarceration can be a great motivator. <laughs> uh, I made some attempts at cleaning up my life in March of 1987. I went to some meetings like Richard was talking about. It was NA rather than AA, and I stayed clean for almost four months, and, uh, and I relapsed. And I still had all the weight of, of these charges over me. Uh, I felt like such a failure with the relapse. Uh, funny thing, my I wore this in remembrance of my dad. I'm not a Mason, by the way. And he wasn't a very good one either. <laughs> uh, my dad, complicated man, went to his first AA meeting in 1951 and died of a drug overdose in 1992. But he managed to be a Mason. Uh, my dad called me a week after I'd relapsed and asked me if I wanted to go to a meeting with him because he knew I was trying to stay clean. And I said, no, not really. I'm not in any mood to go to a meeting. He said, how about I come pick you up and I'll take you to one of your meetings? And 
uh, I gave in, and uh, he picked me up. He took me to the meeting, and as was his nature, he manipulated the girl into giving out the chips. And uh, my father gave me... my last white chip on July 26, 1987. Uh, I got home that night and uh, just the overwhelming sensation of father, failure, drug charges, institutions, jail, had overwhelmed me. And I got on my knees, and for the first time in my life, I asked God to do something without any strings attached. I just, I just wanted to be free of the desire to use drugs. God, if you could just, just please free me from that. It was an overwhelming sensation when I got on my knees. And uh, it would be a lie to say he stopped there. Uh, as I broke, because I prayed, to God for the first time in my life, he, uh, he forgave me. And, and for me, this, this was like being yanked out of the darkness into the light. I can't describe it. It's experiential. I don't know any way. Uh, you know, I heard Dallas's story about yielding. Mine was anything but yielding. Mine was bam. And, uh, and, and I collapsed. I, I cried. I cried for a long, long time. I cried. And I remember the next day knowing that I knew that I had been forgiven. There is no sensation like that. Uh, I remember asking, why me, Lord? Why would you choose me? Why me? I mean, I'm, you know, I I remember when Pastor taught on uh, could God save Hitler. I I really identified to that. You know, I was like, I don't know. You know, he saved me. I don't know why he couldn't. you know, what, have, what had I ever done to be anointed with your Holy Spirit? Nothing. Not a thing. Never attended church. Never gave you lip service. Nothing. And yet, in my time of need, he reached down and he poured his Holy Spirit and his forgiveness right onto me. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. In the summer, I went to court in Texas. They scolded me. They combined the misdemeanor charges to one charge, and they asked me not to come back to Houston, Texas anymore. And uh, on September the 28th, prior to going to court, uh, I had the most real prayer I've ever had in my life. Uh, And most of it's out of Psalm 51. And uh, I'll try to get through this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and block out all my inequity. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that was my prayer. My prayer was what you've given me, just don't take it back. If you need me to go to, if I got to go to jail for whatever length of time, I'm willing to go to jail for whatever length of time it is. I realize what I've done. I mean, if I had to go to jail for everything I ever done, I'd never get out of jail. 
So the one charge seemed, it was overwhelming, but it wasn't unfair. And uh, I knew God to be a fair God. Well, not really. He didn't ever save me if it was fair. But uh, this is what happened when I went to court. Uh, they arrested me. The warrant was in my name. They found what they were looking for. They charged me with trafficking and cocaine. My lawyer came to me and he said, I just talked to the DA and they want to reduce the charges to possession with intent to distribute and give you 10 years probation. Are you willing to do that? <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I, don't, I have no explanation. Apart from the prayer I prayed the night before, I have no, he didn't either. My attorney was, I don't know why they're doing this. There's no reason. It says there in the bottom under special conditions to serve the last 300 days in the DeKalb County Jail at the show cause hearing. I served off that probation in two years and they, they just quit it. It was it. Uh, you know, God has had his hand on me ever since I surrendered. I, as many times as sometimes I've tried to like, your hand is so heavy, Lord, you know. It doesn't matter. He's always chased me down by spirit, always. I married my beautiful wife, Rhonda, in 1989. My son, Robert, was born in 1990. We began to get heavily involved in church in 1990. I'd been involved with carrying the 12 steps uh, into jails, drug detoxes, uh, halfway houses, uh, 1994, my wife and I, I got a job promotion and moved to South Florida. And uh, we got heavily involved in a church there, uh, a great church, a, a great time for us to be there. Uh, involved in prison ministry, my wife and I shared our testimony and did church services at drug detoxes, halfway houses. Uh, we ministered together. It was just a great time. We stayed 13 wonderful years until we returned home to the Atlanta area and bought a home in Bethlehem. I celebrated 30 years with the same company that I went to work for in 1987. And they're going to show you what the intervention of the Holy Spirit actually looks like. <laughs> this is not my story. This is not my story. This is his story. This has nothing to do with me. All I did was out of fear and need, get on my knees and admit to God my need. And the rest of it is his story. Uh, we went to several churches over several years looking for what we had experienced in South Florida, a real church home. And thank God we returned here. Uh, I'll never forget you meeting me and my wife when we first came through the door and you asked us about our previous church experience and uh, I thank you very much for that. It was, it was gracious. Uh, that's about it, I guess. So, Thank you for sharing. Well, thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> we want to we wanna talk for just a minute about recovery at the cross. Uh, Richard and I are both deeply involved in it. It's a 12-step 12 12 Christian recovery program that we've been involved with here that we started, actually, uh, about we started working on it about 18 months ago and it came live about 14 months ago mm -hmm. uh, for me for Richard Richard's been attending meetings for a long time 
I attended meetings for about seven or eight years. I never had a problem with the 12-step fellowship. I just, I, I felt more connected here. You know, take me where the Holy Spirit's alive and active, and that's where I want to be. And uh, so I felt more solid at church, and I'd let the 12-step meetings go. But for us, or at least for me, and I think for Richard as well, I'm speaking for him too, for us, it's a platform for ministry. It's a, it's a chance for us. I'll read you a little something that I certainly didn't write this. Uh, this is how I feel about it. I think Richard feels the same way. Oftentimes have I heard you, this is not scripture. Don't write this down. I copied it out of a book. So, uh, Oftentimes have I heard you speak of one who commits a wrong as though he were not one of you, but a stranger and an intruder upon your world. But I say that even as the holy and the righteous cannot rise beyond the highest, which is in each of you, so the wicked and the weak cannot fall lower than the lowest, which is in you also. And when one of you falls down, he falls for those behind him, a caution against the stumbling stone. And he falls for those ahead of him, who though faster and sure of foot, sure of foot, yet remove not the stumbling stone. So that's, that's the way I look at what Richard and I do. We're there, we've seen people come in, we've seen people come in in doubt and in fear, and, and we watch their countenance change over months and, and, and you know, and we just watch them and it's just incredible. It's an incredible thing to watch. I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. Had some? Um, just it's on Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. Uh, usually runs to 8.15, except our first meeting of the month. We have a testimony, we have food, and we have music, and we have a good time. So it don't matter where you come from or what you've done. Like I've already said, you're welcome to come. It's for men and women. Uh, you don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict. You can just have problems of any kind in life, and you'll be welcome there.